When I took my current job where I'm basically like leading the observability team, I'm like, I need to make sure that I do right by my team and make sure that we're following like good observability practices. Like in theory, I knew observability is a good thing, but like, how do I ensure that I can speak intelligently about observability to my team and to like spread it across the org? Hi, I'm Liz Bong Jones. And I'm Charity Majors. And you're listening to Observability Cast, or OllieCast for short, a fortnightly series about the art and science of making production systems observable, easy to maintain, and appropriately reliable. OllieCast is brought to you by HeavyBit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest in this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us on Twitter at OllieCast. I did a bunch of stuff. I took to Twitter. I follow both of you on Twitter, so I, I learned a lot from your posts. Um, I got into watching a bunch of videos, um, both from uh, Honeycomb and Lightstep. Really great resources. I'm not usually a video person, to be honest. I prefer just to skim articles, but the videos have been awesome. And uh, I've taken to uh, various uh, Slack communities. I've asked lots and lots and lots of questions, um, both of the uh, Honeycomb community and the Lightstep community. And like everyone has been really awesome about answering my questions. So yeah. Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think people have been so interested in helping you along that journey? I think it's because these communities are like super passionate about observability. I mean... I think of it almost as because because it's so much overlapping with the community of folks who are on call, who know what it's like to suffer. And there's kind of a band of brothers effect that, that you've got where you know how much pain they're probably in and you just don't want to see anyone suffer. So you're like, I always find that the ops teams are the most eager to share information. It's why we're also always trying to like publish our postmortems and being super detailed, right? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we've got the solidarity in our, in our pain. And unlike some communities where it's like, well, we've gone through this and therefore you too must suffer. We're like, no, why? Right. There's a better way. Right. I think it goes to this idea of hug ups, right? That we're here to level each other up rather than kind of beat each other down. Yeah, exactly. And how does that kind of contrast with your, uh, you know, what were some of the other skills that you kind of picked up over the past couple of years that you're interested in really deep diving into and, and learning about? Well, I guess my, my foray into observability started with the DevOps. Um, so yes, tell us about that. What made you get started being interested in observability in particular? It was kind of by accident, to be honest. Um, so I, I have this really good friend, um, like we nerd out on all things tech and we were we were uh, working on like a little side app together and, you know, he was working at a, as an SRE at, at another company and I was, I was doing some, uh, I guess, SRE-esque work. I, I was on a release management team at another company and we were just like, you know, shooting the shit, like just talking about how is it that we can make our, our little app, which was running on, on Kubernetes, like more resilient. And, and then I think I, I pointed him to one of your tweets, Charity. And then I guess he got like super addicted to like your tweets. And, and then he kept always telling me about like all the stuff that you were posting. I'm like, okay, I guess let me follow her. <laughs> and we found ourselves like having these like massive debates about observability. I would say like even starting like two years ago. And it was funny because like 
honest to God, I did not understand observability at the time. Like I cannot wrap my head around this. Like I don't understand. Like I, I, I kind of get it, but I kind of don't like, how do I explain it to people? And then, um, when I took my current job where I'm basically like leading the observability team at two cows, I I'm like, I need to make sure that I, you know, do right by my team and make sure that we're following like good observability practices. Like in theory, I knew observability is a good thing needs to be, you know, like these are good practices to be followed, but like, how do I ensure that I can speak intelligently about observability to my team and to like spread it across the org? I love that you didn't outsource it to a vendor. You know, I feel like that's what many leaders do. They're, they just like, they turn to the vendor that they're most comfortable with. They're like, okay, educate me about this. And then they just swallow it and pass it along. And I love that you took a much more independent approach. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and for me, it was like, I, I need to understand like the concepts behind it. I don't want to just like, you know, take a, a very biased view on observability. Like, it, well, you work for a large and successful company. With that means there's a lot. There's a lot on the line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I guess you've uh, introduced yourself now. So, what was it that made observability kind of click for you finally? Like, what what combination of things got you to understand? For instance, like how is it different from monitoring? Like, how should we be thinking about this? So I think OllieCast really helped, actually, and, and especially I think it was the first episode where Charity was giving a definition of observability, and I kept like playing that clip over and over and over again. And then I'm like, oh, my God, this makes sense. And so it was that, and then a discussion that I had with, with my friend Bernard, who was the one like where we were having, we kind of like stumbled on observability together, where he's like, well, you know, observability is one of those things where, like, if you have some sort of issue with your application where like everything's fine for most of your like Firefox users, but you've got like the one guy using Opera where like the API calls aren't going through, like this is what observability picks up on. And then I started digging deeper and deeper and deeper and, you know, like Ollicast and reading like various uh, papers online. And so now for me, in my mind, like observability is about getting like that holistic view of your system but also like understanding like what your system does without having to know like the nitty gritty details of the system. And for me, like I'd say icing on the cake is, is the fact that you can address those unknown unknowns. And, 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 you know, Charity had that great blog post about like dashboards and it's like, yeah, dashboards aren't terrible, but like the problem is you've got like a lot of teams out there who have these dashboards of, problems that they've encountered before. And pretty soon you've got like this huge monitor full of the dashboards. Yeah, the idea of dashboards is technical. That is pretty powerful. And I think the other really cool thing, I think, is that concrete example, right, of wanting to debug the experience of the lone Opera user. Yeah. Of being able to actually, like, know what you're using that cardinality for. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the uh, stories from early in Honeycomb's time was the idea of talking about high cardinality without talking about what high cardinality could do for you, right? And kind of that hump was something that held us back a long time. People talk about, about high cardinality and cardinality a lot now, but, like, when we started five years ago, everybody was like, what the hell is that? And people kept warning me not to talk about it because it was so off-putting to people because nobody understood what it was. So I'm delighted that, you know, the world has come around to realize just how important it is because it's 
It's at the base of everything. Like your browsers, that's a high cardinality dimension. Your users, that's a high cardinality dimension. Your, your everything you care about, everything that's identifying is a high cardinality dimension. And especially the cross products, right? Like people did find it, you know, saying, okay, maybe we can fingerprint on just, you know, the three values. Are you on Windows, Mac, or a mobile device, right? That, that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Hard coding no longer works. <laughs> so I, I think that brings us to the next question that we had, which is what were the most common misconceptions that you've encountered as you like started in turn trying to evangelize observability in your community? I think this confusion with, first of all, like you need a wall of dashboards, number one. Number two is people are like, oh, you know, does such and such a vendor do APM? And I'm like, huh? Like, why? <laughs> like, the, this, like, focus on, on the monitoring, I guess, was the biggest thing. You know, I didn't know what APM meant until, like, a year and a half after we started Honeycomb. I'd never heard the term before. <laughs> I, I think it was in one of the Ollicast episodes where I someone mentioned that, you know, if you don't grow up with APM and you go into observability, it's, like, so much easier to understand the concept versus if you do grow up with APM, like trying to like retrain your brain around it becomes so much harder. And for me, because I like, I wasn't really exposed to APM. It was like, whatever, this, yeah. this shit doesn't make sense to me. Observability is a lot more intuitive. Right? Yeah. That's almost like the difference that we see between people who expect to start with pre-canned dashboards as opposed to people who expect every time to be able to start with an empty query builder and just fill in what they need as they go. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of sympathy for that because I think that creating queries from scratch is not easy for almost anyone, much less when you're in the middle of, you know, an outage or something that's very stressful. And then being faced with an open query browser is just like, it's really hard. It takes you out of the moment, it takes you out of flow, debugging. And, and that's why I think, you know, while I think it's necessary to have that capability, I think it's also just as important that we have the ability to sort of curate things that like pull together our history. Like, oh, this was a useful graph last time. It's really hard to compose a new query, but anyone can tweak a query that's like, close to where you're trying to go, right? And I think it's that closeness, right? Like, is there something that's closer than just, you know, rate error duration, right? If you're starting with rate error duration, you may as well be starting like zoomed all the way out as opposed right. to somewhere closer in. But if it's like, you know, you're trying to figure out if it's, you know, what query it is, and you already happen to have this useful, like, graph that showed you a different bad query, then you can just plug in, you know, a different variable and like come up with the same result or a different result with the same pattern later on. Did you ever run into people who are like, why do I even need this, right? Like, why is my existing monitoring not good enough? Like, did that come up for you? Yeah, I would say like, especially um, people who are really into logs. Oh. <laughs> um, they're like, but my logs are good enough. And I'm like, um, but there's no context. I'm actually like one, one of the challenges I have and, you know, it's it's just an education thing, but it is a challenge nonetheless is that I'm trying to steer people away from logs. I'm like, but everything you need is in the traces because it encapsulates all of that good information and then some. And you didn't have to think of putting it in there in advance. That's the problem with logs is you have to have logged it. <laughs> and who thinks of logging every single thing? Well, you don't. You're right. Or people don't and they just throw everything in the kitchen sink in there and it's hard to find what you need. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that brings us to talking about then, uh, you know, how does someone 
what are the steps someone should go through, right? Like if you're already using logs or you're already using metrics, how do you evolve from there to a state of having better observability? And what's that journey been like for you? Part of it, it it starts with the education. So like internally, um, I've been running a couple of sessions. Like we had at a town hall recently, I I gave just like a high level presentation on observability and on OTEL. Um, Next week, I'm actually doing like a learning session. So doing a deep dive into observability and explaining the difference, like, you know, what's a trace, what's a span, what's a log. And yeah, it's evangelizing. It's, you know, anytime um, someone contacts my team about observability, I direct them to my blog posts. And my team's a unique team because we're, we're not like running software. We're not observability practitioners, but we are defining the practices and standards around observability. So we, we want to do right by it. Definitely has a lot of overlap with the kind of world of SRE and DevOps, right? Like where you're trying to level up other teams and that's your kind of primary role, right? Like it's not, we're taking the pagers or we're writing all the tests for you or writing all of your observability, right? It's, we want to empower you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But where, where is that like first step? Where, where do you begin moving from like logs and metrics to, to the world of observability? Because like Liz and I, a while ago, we wrote up this maturity model, but there doesn't seem to be any linearity to it. Like there doesn't seem to be any like path that people take. Like we, we identified like five or six different areas where you could be weak or strong and how you can get better in them. But I'm super curious, like where do you start and then how do you build on that? So like I said, first with the education and then it's basically like getting people an instrument their code. Yeah. And because like we're, we're trying to educate teams on that, it means like sometimes working closely with teams to explain to, sorry, to them how to best instrument their code. So we're not necessarily they're instrumenting their code. Cause like, you know, it's like asking me to right. touch code that I don't understand, but right. we can at least provide those, those best practices around that and, and help you troubleshoot and, and, you know, like pair with you. And so like one of the things that we've done, like, you know, OTEL has been great because it has like instrumentation examples in various languages, but, you know, open source, one of the pitfalls, I guess, is that documentation can be a little bit lacking. Yeah. We're out of date. <laughs> we're, we're looking at, at basically creating reference implementations um, in a number of the languages that we use at the company mm-hmm. that are, are, you know, a little bit more complex. And also like, because the OTEL spec is constantly changing, you know, some of those examples can be outdated. So we're or at least trying to keep up with the uh, the latest changes in the hotel spec. And then, of course, like documenting the hell out of it. And hopefully also kind of annotating with the fields and kind of things that are very useful for your business domain. Yeah. Because those are never going to be in a, in a centralized docs repo. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, too, is like, you know, because we are, uh, I'm, I'm really uh, pushing for us to go hotel, um, making sure that we run like an hotel collector gateway. And, and that as part of that, you know, we have some common tagging mm-hmm. that we do. Um, for, yeah. Yeah. One technique that I, I've used in the past that I've heard other people using is kind of like following the pain, right? Like you pay attention to who's on call and what, what they're getting paged about and, and you just start instrumenting. You shine the light on whatever hurts and instrument that part. And then you shine the light on whatever hurts next and you just get people to be in the habit of having instrumentation first approach to debugging and that that spreads out a reasonable amount of instrumentation when when you can't get teams to sit down and instrument which sounds like you can which is phenomenal a lot of people can't get their teams to actually sit down and instrument 
Yeah, I was just going to remark on that. That's really unusual because we often hear teams being like, why is the auto instrumentation not good enough, right? Like, yeah. why can I not just, you know, write my business logic and be done? Yeah, yeah. You find that you need to help inspire them to get this done by showing them the results or like walking them through how much easier it can be to debug? We're lucky in the sense that the the vendor we're using right now, I think because they were like dying before, like from not having an observability vendor, um, that they see the value in in having that extra insight. So it was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. So now what we want to do is like take it a step further where let's go the hotel route so that we have, first of all, like the industry is moving in that direction. All the major observability vendors Mm -hmm. have embraced hotel. So I don't want to be in a position where like, if we need to switch vendors at some point in the future because it doesn't suit our needs, like right. this isn't going to cause us grief in the future. Hotel is a one time and you're done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what are some of the other things that are kind of facilitating your journey? We often talk, have talked on this uh, podcast before about cycle times. Like how long does it take from the time that someone adds the instrumentation to the time that it's running in production, they can see what they've done? I think it's a pretty fast cycle time like i said like we've got some teams that are running stuff in in prod right now where where there's an incident and they're already able to like they get those insights right away so now i think the challenge is really getting them into some of those good habits that i think you guys have mentioned in in this podcast which is like know what a healthy system looks like right don't just wait oh right so you're looking at it when it's healthy not just when it's yeah 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 yeah. yeah. so that's that's what we want to encourage teams to start doing um, because not everyone is doing that for example one of the teams that i manage not the observability team i have a platform team and we we have some custom software and and it's really cool that uh, the sres are in the habit of like when it's their on call week they check the system regularly so they know what healthy looks like and what unhealthy looks like. Um, so we want to make sure that we propagate those behaviors across the org. Yeah, for sure. So you didn't get much pushback from your team. Did you get any pushback from your management? I would say some people were a little more hesitant, mostly on the OTEL stuff, not so much on the observability stuff. Um, because it's like, well, we've already instrumented with this vendor library. Um, you're you're asking us to like switch to something, and 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 then there's the the common pushback around Otel was, well, it's not ready, and the you know Otel as a whole is not ready, which is not true. So part of right. part of what I'm doing now is educating people. I'm like, no, that's not true. Like traces are 1.0. Yeah. We're getting there with metrics and logs. Well. I don't know. Do we actually care about logs? <laughs> right, exactly. Do you really like need logs if you have span events has been a common thing that I've raised when someone's like, oh, I want to dump all of my logs. Well, do you really need to dump all your logs? And for the logs you do want to send, wouldn't it be better if they're attached to traces anyways? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's been the battle, if you will, is is just getting them to understand, okay, like, hotel is maturing a fair bit. I, I think one of the key components, which is tracing, um, like that is the money, like that gives you that end-to-end visibility. That's fairly mature. How many services are you guys running? Um, I don't actually know. 
I'm actually pretty new to the company. I've been here for five months, so I'm still uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm still waiting my way around. No, I'm just curious because that's a very microservice heavy um, type thing to say. Like, if most of your things are caught via tracing instead of via events, that usually means you have a lot of services. <laughs> and it also speaks to kind of decentralization, right? If you have if your services themselves are cattle rather than pets, right? Like in Honeycomb, we fully acknowledge we have pets, right? Like we have six microservices. We know the names of each of the six microservices, right? Like we all are on call for them. Right, right. And that's very different than a, a much more decentralized company, which is like, Tudas has been around for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah, we have. <laughs> yeah, you guys must have really mastered the art of migrations if you're like, if you're doing stuff that is this cutting edge and you've been around for that long. Yeah, I, I have to say like, I've been really lucky that like, you know, working with my manager and also the CTO of two cows, like they're pretty chill dudes and like very open-minded and they've given me like runway to basically like drive observability in the direction that it needs to be going. Because like when I compare, like I've had stuffy ass corporate jobs before and like, this is night and day to be honest, like, you know, I, I worked at a corporate job where it's like, thou must go through the corporate hierarchy to do anything. And yeah, yeah. there's like no autonomy. And, and I've been really lucky that I've been given autonomy and there's trust in my skills, which honestly, like as a woman in tech, like it's huge because unfortunately I've, I've been mansplained and in meetings, um, I've had like male coworkers not make eye contact with me when I ask a question and look at another male coworker to answer the question. So to be in an environment where like I have autonomy, there's trust, um, there's trust in my skill set, trust in what I bring to the table. That's fantastic. And that tends to like ripple, have a ripple effect so that you have trust in your team yeah. and everything. And that, that's awesome. I'm curious guys if set any metrics for your success if there's anything you know that you negotiated in the, in the beginning where you're like aha this is a sign you know maybe we're getting paged too much maybe we're having too many of these kind of outages or whatever and this is a metric where we will know that we have succeeded if we roll out this observability stuff is that a kind of discussion that you guys had at all it is a discussion that we're having but we haven't settled on on that yet like so one of the things that i'm i'm really like encouraging the teams to adopt is like start thinking about those SLO based alerts. Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of organizations like still are even like struggling to achieve that SRE mindset, right? Like there's so many job posts out there for like SRE and it's like, it's not SRE based on the job description. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those things where it was a natural fit for me, at least to jump from working on SRE full time to working on observability as a way to actually empower people to achieve the outcomes of SRE. Yeah. If people are trying to do SRE without observability, it wasn't working for them. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, I mean, observability gives SRE superpowers. Yes, exactly. Why is that? Why, like, what have you found that kind of does that? Like, I, I know I've, I've given my perspective a lot, but it always helps to hear what other people have seen. Like for me, if, it, if you don't have observability, like your job is like 10 times harder. I mean, like, can you imagine? Well, I'm sure you can. Sifting We've through logs. There, yeah. To like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sifting through logs to like figure out where, where the problem is. Like, so for me, like one example I can think of from earlier on in my career is I was working on an app where our users were complaining it was slow. So I, I contacted like the database guy. I'm like, hey, it's slow. Do you see anything in the database? No, no, you know, like look at the Oracle dashboard. No, it looks good. And I talked to the network guy. No, network's fine. Talked to like the, 
you know, the storage guy, no, the discs are running fine. I'm like, oh my God, well, there's a problem still because like, but we just don't know where it is and observability. And you didn't have traces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and for me, so the aha for observability is this problem wouldn't happen anymore. It's so true. If you don't have observability, every single issue is a one-off because if you, all you have is aggregates, it's up to you, the human, to like drill down and try and figure out what's going on below that. It's up to you, the human, to sit between your metrics and your logs and your traces or whatever. It's up to you, the human, to like do these super heroic acts of debugging every single time. That's not something you can train people to do. You can't expect software engineers to own their own code in production if you don't have observability, in my opinion, because it's just too much. It presumes too much low-level systems knowledge. It presumes too much high-level systems knowledge. It presumes too much deep knowledge of of the individual tools, like whether it's S-Trace or, you know, MTR, like whatever, like if you don't have observability, you're sending them off on, on a quest every fucking time that there's something wrong. And that's just not reasonable to expect. And, and worse, right? Like it's not just under normal circumstances. It's when they're under a lot of pressure and stress, right? Like you want these things to be much easier when people are under stress, especially. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned kind of one challenge was the challenge of ripping out vendor-specific instrumentation that wasn't helping you achieve observability in favor of a vendor-neutral OTOWL-based approach that was going to give you observability via, you know, one of several routes. Yeah. Or kind of some of the other things, right? Like, obviously, you've got some pushback on, right? Like, so you got the pushback of, we have to do all this technical work. Yeah. Was there also kind of pushback over the cost of solutions or like pushback over like how much value you would get? Kind of how did how did that conversation go for you? Um, the, the pushback over the cost isn't so much of an issue because we ended up going like with a vendor solution. So at least like people saw the value in that, like rather than try to maintain infrastructure in-house, like a vendor can do a much, much better job than, than we can in trying to cobble together, you know, a bunch of open source tools. Um, so that was honestly very beneficial on the, I, I think the the two most challenging things are, are basically like making sure that we, we convince teams on the value of hotel. And I, I think people like, people are getting excited about it. It's, it's just the, you know, like, Oh, how do we do this and still meet our, our deadlines? Very reasonable. And then just making sure also that they're following proper observability practices. Cause like, yeah, that's great. You're instrumenting your code. You're sending your metrics over to like an observability backend. Yeah. But are you actually utilizing the tool properly to its fullest extent? Are you following those observability practices? Do you even know what you're looking for? So I, I think that becomes the biggest challenge. So it's more, it's, it's an education on the practices. So people are bought into the idea that they want to do this and it's just a matter of making sure that they know how and making sure that that's practiced. Yeah, it's it's kind of like in, in the DevOps world, right? It's like, I have Jenkins, therefore I am DevOps. Oh, I have observability tool, therefore I have observability. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this has been super fascinating talking to you. Um, is there anything that you wish you could tell yourself six months ago or whenever it was that you began your investigation of observability? Anything that you wish you had known then? My biggest thing is I wish I hadn't been so shy to reach out to the community earlier. Like I was a little bit scared at first. Um, I think I started becoming bolder. Like I, I attended um, OllieCon yeah. this year and it was like, it was so cool to see like everyone so passionate about observability and that kind of empowered me to get like super duper duper excited about observability. So yeah, I would say like 
start asking questions earlier and, and, and don't be afraid of, of how people will, will respond to your questions because the community is freaking awesome. It's a very kind community. It's what a part, part of what I love too. Yeah, it's the fact that we're all collaborative, right? Like we were having a discussion right before we recorded this episode about how to marshal people from the hotel community to talk to Adriana's engineers, right? And that was like a, you know, I don't care whether or not you specifically are using Honeycomb with the product. I want hotels to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that at some point, like my team can contribute to hotel as well, because I think it would be amazing. Yeah, well, there's so much room where you uniquely know as people who work in Pearl and work with kind of the lower level stuff, um, what you need in order to be successful to help other people in the same shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. This has been like my dream. So uh, yeah, I really enjoyed our chat. (laughs) That was a delightful conversation that I enjoyed and I hope you did too. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us on Twitter at OllieCast. To learn more about HeavyBit, visit HeavyBit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. Hope to see you next time.